What's up, everyone? Yes, it is I, your host, Natalie Morrison, and you might be thinking, wasn't this called Swim Masters? Well, yes, it was, and you're definitely in the right place. We decided that we wanted to give the podcast a bit of a makeover, and we're so proud to introduce to you Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast. Don't worry, it's still the same content, still the same hosts. We just wanted to take this to the next level. And we're excited that you're joining us on this fantastic journey. The episode that you're currently listening to was recorded before the name change. And I just wanted to let you know that you are in the right spot. So keep on listening. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for all new episodes of Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast coming soon. Welcome to Swim Masters, a podcast dedicated to help connect, grow, and support women in the music products industry. I am your host, Natalie Morrison. The Smart Women in Music Fund was established in 2018 by Robin Walenta, Dee Dee Hyde, and Crystal Morris to expand diversity, inclusion, and support for women in the music product space. Twice a month, I will sit down and host virtual conversations with various women across our industry to help foster mentorship and growth. Now, without further ado, Let's dive in. Welcome back to Swim Masters. It's time for another episode. I'm your host, Natalie Morrison. Thank you so much for joining me. Gosh, it's September. Can you believe it? I can't. I say that every time it's a new month because time just keeps moving so quickly. It's a very strange concept to think about. Thank you for coming back to another episode. I'm excited for this one. I feel like I say that every time I do a recording, but you know, I just, I really enjoy the women that I get to talk to on this podcast, and I really hope that you're enjoying these conversations as well. Today, we have a very special, wonderful, beautiful soul joining us. Her name is Suzanne D'Addario Bruder. She is the executive director of the D'Addario Foundation. And I wanted to give a little backstory on Suzanne and my relationship with Suzanne. It goes with a lot of the themes that we've been talking about in previous episodes. So I wanted to share this little story with you before we get into the interview. I met Suzanne at the 2018 NAMM show in Anaheim, and I just graduated from college at this point. I could not find a job to save my life, and I went to the NAMM show. I was brought back as one of the PR assistants, interns, and on the days that I wasn't working all day for NAMM, I was using my networking skills and I was setting up meetings with anyone and everyone that I could make a relationship with. I wanted to build relationships. I wasn't going into any of these conversations wanting a job. I mean, I was I was in need of a job, but I knew that I needed to build relationships and get my name out there and put myself out there to figure out my place in this industry. And I was able to set up a meeting with Suzanne and I went over to the D'Addario booth and we sat for like an hour 
And she told me all about the work that she does and any advice that she had for me. Because I just wanted to talk to another woman in the industry. I just wanted to learn. And I wanted to see what they went through and their journeys to help me create my own journey. And Suzanne looked at me and she said, why don't you give me your resume? I want to give it to our media director because there might potentially be an opportunity. And I was like, oh, oh, absolutely. So I gave her my resume and my business card. And about a week and a half later, I got an email from the media director. And he said that he had an opportunity for an internship that he wanted to bring me in for an interview for. So I went for the interview and I instantly felt at home. It was one of those feelings. I would just I, I came out of that interview. I met most of the people that I would be working with, and I just felt really comfortable. I felt like myself. I felt like this was a group of people that I could just see myself in an environment that I could see myself working in. And I was so excited about it. And I found out a couple of days afterwards that I got the internship. And I was also told that this was an opportunity that could transition into a full-time position. And it is September 2020, and I have been with Diderio ever since. I am their PR and media strategist, and I honestly can say that I don't think that I would be where I am if it wasn't for that conversation with Suzanne. And I am so grateful and so humbled and honored to be able to work with an amazing group of colleagues for an amazing organization, amazing company. And yeah, so enjoy. <laughs> Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for joining Swim Masters. Hi, Natalie. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited to have you on the podcast and to talk about all things nonprofit and music education. You're the executive director for the Diderio Foundation. I would love for you to give a background and history about the foundation and how it's evolved over the years. Sure. Okay. I'd be happy to. The Diderio Foundation is, uh, first of all, a 501c3 nonprofit charity. The activities of the foundation are primarily financed by Diderio and Company. Uh, so up to 10% of net profits each year from Diderio and Company's business go to the foundation to support the mission. Diderio also covers all of the foundation's operating expenses. So any donations made to the organization are not used for example, to cover overhead or anything like that, but go directly to serving our efforts. So the bottom line is what we do really would not be possible without the generosity of Diderio and company. So you know, we're very grateful for that relationship. The foundation has been in existence for over 30 years at this point. It started out as an organization set up to support aspiring young musicians, particularly guitarists, through a concert series in New York that then expanded to some other cities as well. The idea was to provide a stage for young up-and-coming artists. But 
As the landscape of public arts education began to change in schools in the U.S., meaning arts and music began to be cut from regular curriculum with the elevation of standardized testing, that was sort of like an unintended consequence. We saw a need to bring access to music education no longer available to just every kid in school. Along those lines, at the same time, in parallel to all of that, there was also beginning to be some really convincing studies that suggested that active participation in music instruction can have dramatic academic benefits, particularly in literacy, which, you know, for young kids is really critical. Somebody once said this to me, and it really rang uh, true. Up until third or fourth grade, a child is learning to read, right? But after that, after fourth grade, kids read to learn. So if you're not proficient in reading at that point, that's where that academic achievement gap begins. So we found that uh, robust music curriculum can close that achievement gap. It can help engage kids, get them excited about school in a way that traditional academic subjects cannot. And ultimately, it can be really a driving force for positive change, particularly for at-risk kids and, and kids who have, you know, very little resources. So the foundation's mission is really ultimately about affecting positive social change through music. That's awesome. I love how the foundation started out as the focus being one thing. And then as you saw the industry just kind of change, you guys changed with it to really resonate with children and just music education as a whole. And I also love the fact, and I know you you and I have talked about this before, but essentially when someone buys a D'Addario product, they're also like giving to music education, which I think is amazing. Yeah, it's really profound. And I think, you know, in this day and age where people are really concerned with how companies that they are loyal to operate and want to be ensured that they're doing some good for the world, that is um, a very nice assurance, right? That, you know, you are, um, you know, affecting positive change by buying Diderio products. So it, it's, it's a really nice synergy. So you were obviously born into the industry. Growing up, did you work in the family business knowing that this was going to be your path? You know, it's funny. I mean, first, I should say, I'm extremely proud of my family and the legacy that, you know, that is our business. I, I believe, you know, we've always conducted ourselves appropriately and fairly and humbly. And we have a sincere passion about making exceptional products. I'm also proud of the fact that we were, not myself, but my uncle, my father, my aunts, um, were compelled to start this charity over 30 years ago uh, to help the development of musicians and to help provide access to music education. You know, all of this stuff just really comes from the heart. So um, it, it really is meaningful. Um, having said that, I honestly never, ever thought that I would work in the business. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you know, honestly, I, I didn't, I never received pressure to do so. So my father has always encouraged us to work outside the business. 
And I think, you know, primarily he wanted us to experience what it was like to work for someone, a boss that is not a family member, Uh, you know, starting from, you know, the ground up, earning our way. I mean, all of those very important things. All of us in the summer when we were kids would work in the factories, you know, back then, you know, winding strings by hand or stacking inventory in the warehouse. But, you know, when it came time for us to be employed after college, you know, he really encouraged us to find jobs elsewhere. So, you know, for me, I always had a passion for the fashion industry. I studied marketing, uh, different languages in college, arts, um, and I took a job right out of college as a buyer for a clothing retailer in Chicago. So I'm still in Chicago to this day. So I worked in that industry for quite some time. And at the same time, I was also sort of entrepreneurially dabbling and starting my own business, creating handmade soaps and beauty products. It's a whole other story. Um, but I always followed <laughs> so the cool. work. I know. I always followed the work of the foundation because I found it very interesting. I was a musician growing up and, um, you know, it was just meaningful to me. And my father was the president of the foundation. He was really, really passionate about it. So we had regular conversations about it. So, gosh, um, I don't know, 10 years ago, you know, this is back when the infrastructure of the foundation was very different. It was very simple. And I basically became a review committee member responsible for reading all of the grant proposals for support from all of the nonprofits uh, all over the world that were applying to the foundation and making recommendations on funding. So that's kind of how I got involved in it. Um, it was sort of very organic how it all happened. And I really enjoyed the work. You know, I began to get more involved in it and eventually sort of transitioned out of the fashion industry into working exclusively for the foundation and ultimately leading it as the executive director, you know, a few, three, five years down the road. Basically, I got more and more involved in the work of the foundation I was doing that in tandem with my job as a buyer, but um, I got to a sort of a point, actually, the company I was working for declared bankruptcy, clothing, retail is a tough business, and um, it really was an opportunity for me to really jump in and get involved on a full-time basis with the foundation. So I did that. And, you know, a few years down the road, then I took over leadership of it as the executive director. So um, I, as executive director, about, you know, I guess I was three to five years into just being a part of the foundation exclusively, started, you know, making some changes to the organization. And you know, at this point now we have a full board of directors and we have a a board of advisors. We have proper bylaws and we write annual reports and we have lots of different initiatives beyond our grant making. And um, in addition, we're also now doing fundraising activities. So um, the organization has changed dramatically, but I also still feel very, very strongly, and I know my my father does too, in the idea of us as grant makers having a very personal approach to the way that we consider requests for support. 
it's important that it never becomes, you know, something sort of automated or robotic. It's a very personal choice. And we have a, you know, a very healthy communicative relationship with all of our program partners. That's really interesting how it almost sounds like the door opened at like the right time for you to decide to kind of transition into the foundation and step away from the fashion world. You're right. It really, it really did. Cause I think otherwise I would have been, you know, I would have been hesitant otherwise because I was just, honestly, I was, I always, it was always important for me to sort of forge my own path. Um, you know, I left New York where I grew up and that's where the business is based. And, you know, I really sort of wanted to have an independent life of, you know, uh, not, I mean, my, not of my family. I love my family, yeah. but I, you know, I did want that, that level of independence. I wanted to explore other things. So I, the way that it happened, it was, was very comfortable for me, you know? And I, I mean, listen, I was, I was privileged to be given the opportunity to. Was the decision really hard to decide to go down that road or because the door was like open, it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like this might be a, something that I want to focus my time on? No, it's a, it's a good question. I, you know, I mean, I definitely thought about it a bit because, you know, it was sort of for me a declaration that I was moving away from what I originally felt very passionate about, which is the fashion industry, and would probably not return to that. So it, it was sort of a weighty decision, but I was really excited about what the foundation was doing. So, you know, that it was it was fairly easy in terms of, of making a decision for, under, under that those circumstances. So that's awesome. So I want to dive into a little bit of what the different initiatives that the D'Addario Foundation has. So you started the Music Education for Girls initiative. Could you go into a little bit more about the mission for that? And are there opportunities for people to get involved? Sure. Okay. So the Music Education for Girls initiative was established a couple of years ago and it's really very simple. It's, it's about opening doors and providing opportunities for girls and women in music. What we have found is a large percentage of students in our partner programs are female. Yet there's this dramatic fall off of women in music um, as they mature. So the initiative is really about doing our part to change that gender imbalance uh, in music. For us, uh, specifically, our primary focus has been providing advanced learning opportunities through scholarship for young women. Uh, for example, we created the first ever guitar scholarship at the Musician, Musicians Institute for a female player. Over half of the 20 college scholarship recipients for our college scholarship fund are female. So. Um, it's a fairly new initiative. We've partnered with Guitar Center for a couple of years to spread the word and sort of illuminate the need to support the development of women in music through International Women's Day in March. 
so, uh, you know, for me, I really, really welcome the opportunity to connect and support young women, to encourage them to come, become a part of this industry. And of course, you know, we welcome any feedback or ideas. Uh, we need creativity and we need sort of thoughtful, uh, thoughtfulness in this area to really reach people, to educate people and to hopefully make change. Absolutely. And especially during this time when music education is and arts education in general is just in question, it's important to have that outlet for girls and young boys to be able to participate in music because it really does help them in their everyday lives. How has the Diderio Foundation been tackling the pandemic? Are there any particular ways you've involved that you're especially excited about? Yeah, one of the, I'd say, most dramatic pivots for the Diderio Foundation, uh, it was our decision to use some grant-making dollars to fund a study, the National Federation of High School Associations is performing a pretty robust uh, study that most people in the music industry are following very closely, um, analyzing the effects of aerosol in band instruments, in choral and spoken art, and then, of course, how to mitigate that risk so kids can get back to playing together as safely as possible. Many of our programs are ensemble based. So this poses a pretty considerable challenge, right? Um, it doesn't work as effectively in a virtual environment. But, you know, on the other hand, because most of the nonprofits that the Diderio Foundation supports are independent arts partners, as opposed to like school music programs, um, the independent arts partners tend to really uh, get to know their students, the families, the communities that they serve very well. So what we have seen is they're doing a pretty effective job of transitioning to online learning uh, with a very high adoption rate by their students. It's, it's funny, in some cases, programs are reporting an acceleration in learning because students have more time to practice their instruments. A big part of what we believe strongly in is the social emotional side of music education. And, you know, the isolation of students at this time really concerns me. Um, but, you know, our partner programs, they are so dedicated. Some of them reported going door to, door to door to their students to make sure they were doing okay, make sure they had instruments in a condition to play, and even in some cases offering technology to help their students participate virtually. I mean, I'm just so proud of them. Um, but, you know, I'm also really concerned about them because the truth is that it's difficult right now for them to stay afloat. There's been a dramatic decrease in sponsorship dollars a dramatic de decrease in funding coming into these nonprofits. So, you know, ultimately the Diderio Foundation is going to do everything we can to help continue to serve our partners and to serve their communities. That's incredible. I love hearing stories like that, especially during this time when you hear that the instructors are going out of their way to make sure their students are okay and getting them what they need. Like I know there are some organizations that I've seen that are like doing violin lessons in the park and mm -hmm. trying to keep that fuel in their students to want to continue and play and love the instruments that they're learning, even though the world is just 
very different from what we're all used to. Yeah, I think that they realize that what they're doing is really a lifeline in some ways for some of the kids that they serve and is an important outlet for them, an important communal experience for them. So, you know, they're doing everything in their power and they, and they really truly care so much about their students' well-being. So it is, it's really touching, but very challenging. Oh yeah, definitely. With the college scholarship program, could you talk a little bit more about that process on developing the scholarship and this maybe a couple of the students who have received it? Sure. So um, we have, as I mentioned, been sort of doing what we do for a number of years now. Many of the partner programs that we support, we were brand new when we began to support them. And what we're watching um, very joyfully is sort of the progression of their students. Um, A lot of those students now are graduating high school and we have seen such dramatic results, right, for students that have participated in our music programs that are multiple days per week. And these students, you know, are graduating in at record rates comparatively to, you know, what the high school graduation rate is in many of their neighborhoods. So the college scholarship program was set up as a way to continue to encourage the educational development of these students that have dedicated so much of their time and energy to their local music programs. The idea behind it was to sort of continue to break that cycle of poverty, to break the cycle of challenges for many of the students that we serve with the belief in mind that, you know, education really lifts you up. You know, so it's about, it's a really about continuing to lift these students, continuing to encourage them um, and be a resource, right? Because it is very challenging to, to pay for college. There, there is federal aid, there is scholarship dollars out there. But um, what we decided is, you know, yes, a lot of these students have success at receiving those, those types of aids, financial aid. But there's still there's still other expenses to deal with. There is, you know, food, there's transportation, there's books, there's there's loads of stuff that really can make a difference between a a student being able to attend college or not. So we decided that the college scholarship program should really focus on sort of supporting the personal needs of the students. Um, And it. Thankfully, we had a wonderful, generous donor who was willing to help us set this up. Um, so we give uh, we give scholarships about ten a year uh, to students that meet a certain level of criteria in terms of participation in our partner programs to attend college. They receive it for their entire college tenure for as long as it takes them to graduate from college. So we basically stick with them no matter what to help them through sort of their college experience. Uh, so we're really proud of it. 
We have 20 students now, so we have two years worth of recipients, really varied group. There's tons of information on our website. There's also tons of information in our social feeds about these individual students. And, you know, honestly, they these students will be ambassadors to support music education, to talk to the world about how transformational music has been in terms of their development and really be ambassadors to our organization, too, which we love. Oh, I love that. We need more ambassadors shouting out how important and amazing music education is. And I love that this program is going to be that for them and just for the education world in general. I'm also going to link in the show description, the website, also the D'Addario Foundation social feeds so that if anyone is interested in learning more, they can definitely check that out. So I guess my last question, what advice do you have for anyone interested in entering the nonprofit world right now? Where do you see needs popping up? I know I feel like I'm in like a deja vu moment because we had this conversation like three years ago you and I (laughs) but I would just love for you to share that sure I mean with obviously the current climate yeah I'd be lying if I didn't say that the primary need for nonprofits is in development right and in fundraising but by that you know I think what really is needed is young a young generation of people that know how to really appeal to the masses to use their social savvy to use their creative skills their you know knowledge to to convince the world to pay attention to the effective work of nonprofits i think that's really always been the toughest challenge for anyone in this sector is Unfortunately, you know, it just seems like nonprofit work isn't sexy or intriguing the public, you know, or not enough. And the truth is that, I mean, honestly, I've met some of the most productive and innovative leaders in the nonprofit world. They are highly, highly undervalued. So I see the need being, and I think part of sort of the strengths of sort of this next generation is in their ability to speak to the world, to connect to the world, to appeal to the world about all of the effective and important things that nonprofits achieve um, and hopefully, you know, begin to sort of shift a perception, right, in, in, in the value of that work and how much it's, how important it is for, for people to support it. Yeah, you said it perfectly. And I do have faith in the younger generation. I just kind of seeing everything that's happened over the past four or five months and seeing everyone just rally together brings me a lot of hope. And I hope that the nonprofit world and the work that everyone does on a day-to-day basis to make our world a better place is recognized at a in a deeper way than it ever has before. I hope so too. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and share your story. You do such incredible work and 
I'm honored to know you and I just thank you for everything that you do. And I hope that other people are inspired by what the foundation does and they get involved and see how they can help as well. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity to speak to you. And you know that I'm a big fan of yours as well. And I think <laughs> wonderful uh, what you've done here. So, you know, we just need more young women like you. And that's, you know, the world will be in a much better place. Thanks, Suzanne. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Swim Masters. Don't forget to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on all new things swim. We'd love it if you'd share and leave us a review. If you would like to learn more, please visit www.smartwomeninmusic.org. This episode was co-produced and edited by Stephanie Lamond and Natalie Morrison. See you next time. <laughs>